The Deep Dive with Nick Baby. Welcome to the Deep Dive with Nick Babel. I'm your host, Nick Babel. My guest today is actor Wade Williams. Wade has been in such films as Aaron Brockovich, The Dark Knight Rises, Venom, and the Rob Zombie horror film, Three from Hell. He has also been in just about every TV series you can think of over the last 20 years, uh, including NYPD Blue, ER, The X-Files, Criminal Minds, and many, many more. Uh, his biggest television role was the head of correction, the head correctional officer in the Fox show Prison Break. Wade, thanks for doing the podcast. Hey, you're welcome, Nicholas. Thanks for having me here. It's so nice to, to be with you today. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, I see you studied theater at the University of Tulsa. Um, yes. What, what made you decide to get into theater and and acting and what were like what were your, some of your inspirations to do that oh wow that's a great question uh well i was uh, studying to be a doctor uh when i got out of high school uh, i got a job at a fence company making fences which i wasn't actually making the fence but i was making putting the little points on the end of fences fence posts one at a time <laughs> i realized i better get an education or i'm going to be doing this kind of job rest of my life because all of my friends had graduated and started doing stuff like that you know digging ditches this is in Tulsa Oklahoma so anyway I ended up getting a job at a hospital because I was interested in working and being a doctor and uh, while I was working at the hospital I started going to TU studying um, uh, pre-med or so I thought Um, but I don't know man I just I don't know it's just too much for me because I was working full time at the hospital and taking a full load of classes, uh, paying for it all myself. So it was just too much. So um, I kind of wandered around those first two years. Plus, I didn't start college until I was 22. So I was older than everybody else. And uh, anyway, I, I was singing in the choir at church and I was a, cha- a cantor in the Orthodox Christian church. They sing the whole uh, service there at St. Anthony's uh, near TU in Tulsa. And uh, a bunch of the dudes that were in the choir there and were the cantors had taken voice lessons because they had been to school at Old Roberts University and have a good, you know, music school there because they have those like dancers and uh, those sexy Christian chicks that jump around a little <laughs> stuff. Never really want some fun. Watch a little Old Roberts TV broadcast. And it's the chicks, can't remember the chicks and the guys. They're all dressed up nice. Anyway, they were all in the church. So I was at TU and I took voice lessons through the music school as a block course. You know, it was like an effect. Anyway, I met this teacher, a voice teacher named Jane Carmichael. And uh, she started teaching me how to sing. I mean, like really sing. Uh, so I was working on classic. I was being trained as a, trained as a classical singer from the time I started with her. And... Uh, she asked me about a year or two later after I'd studied with her every week for a couple of years, you want to try out for a music theater school? I was like, no. And anyway, I eventually did. And I got in the musical and it was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, uh, the Steven uh, Sondheim musical. And I played the, the soldier, Miles Gloriosas. 
And I had a great time. But I got to tell you, I was so scared. I remember, I had this cape that I had to wear to sing the song on a, on a bench. I had to get up on the top of it. I was shaking so hard. My whole cape was like, blah, blah, blah. anyway, but I had a good time. And I really liked the th- people in the theater department. They were kind of a much more kind of um, open minded spiritually, sexually, uh, politically uh, than the kind of Bible belt. Um, you know, hard right, evangelical Christian kind of culture there in that Bible Belt region of the United States of America. So, I ended up getting, because I was broke, man. I had no freaking money. I worked 40 hours a week. At the hospital, and I made two hundred dollars. Oh wow! After taxes, and my rent was two hundred dollars for a beat up back room in somebody's house that uh, you know had a. I don't know, it was just right over a tornado shelter. Right? Anyway, and I would have to write bad checks for pizza at the school. <laughs> anyway, I was not in good shape. Anyway, by the way, by the end, I remember I was a little older. The, the professors at University of Tulsa um, gave me a great blessing. And the theater, the school, and the music school both gave me um, $1,000 scholarships. And I think at the time, my uh, tuition was 5000 bucks, And for me not to have to pay $2,000 a year to go to school, and I ended up finishing in five years. And uh, I met Nancy Vundovich there who was the head of the theater department at the time, David Cook, who was also ended up being the head of the theater department. And they are some of the best actors I've ever worked with in my life. They're in education. Uh, Nancy Vunovich is better than almost anybody I've ever seen on Broadway. Uh, and her and Elaine Stritch, uh, you know, uh, apples and oranges, but uh, geniuses and both legends in my mind. And these are all musical theater folks. So my first passion was musical theater. As a matter of fact, the last role I played, along with Nancy Vunovich, my hero, uh, who uh, uh, ran the department when I started. Uh, I played Sweeney Todd next to her, Mrs. Lovett, and Sweeney Todd, that was the last show I did there. That's one of the, my favorite things I've ever done. And after that, man, I, I thought, what am I going to do? I got a degree in acting, theater. How am I going to get, I, what if I can't get a job acting? Right. I better get a graduate degree so I can teach. And then I went to Rutgers and studied at the professional actor training school there for three years, got an MFA. Uh, and then thank goodness after that, I, I was able to work enough uh, to get unemployment every year. So I could keep me in that. Yeah. You know, I saw that you, you did plays in Central Park with, uh, you know, like Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington and, uh, you know, people like that. Tracy Altman. Tracy Altman. Oh, gosh. Um, I just, that, that was a great experience working in that Central Park. That was like a dream come true. Wow. I mean, I, I mean this little kid from fucking Oklahoma, Tulsa, <laughs> Oklahoma, he's like building fences, ends up in freaking the Delacorte Theater alongside Morgan Freeman and freaking Denzel Washington and Tracy Ullman. And, and, oh, my gosh. Helen Hunt. Holy moly. Yeah. And you did some big plays there. 
uh, Les Mis, Guys and Dolls, uh, Ragtime, Showboat. Um, what, what are some of your memories from that time time of your career? Well, I was uh, I was uh, really more concentrating at that point on musical theater. Um, the reason why I went to acting school to Rutgers was so I could learn how to act. There's one thing I, I noticed in a lot of musical theater performances that I had seen was that it was more kind of concerned with the way somebody looked and their voice type. So you didn't really have to act. It's kind of like that in certain styles of television too, um, where you have uh, kind of a prototypical character type. You know, in uh, musical theater, you have like the soubrette. That's the young, beautiful, kind of sassy blonde. You have, that's in like Oklahoma, that'd be like Ado Annie or in, uh, and then you have the leading lady who's like Lori in Oklahoma and the leading man who's Curly. And then you have the bad guy who's Judd. And it's all just stereotypical. They're, they're kind of set kind of characterizations that go way back to uh, Panto in England and also to Shakespeare. And uh, they're, you know, beautifully carved kind of prototypes, universal character prototypes. The, right. the old crone, the, you know, the, the crazy old man who might be a wizard, you know, shit like that. Yeah. So I was in musical theater, so I could really learn how to play those people instead of like, no, be those people instead of play them, play the stereotype. So that's what I was concentrating on. And that's why I love doing Guys and Dolls, because it's a play. It's a great play surrounded by this beautiful music. Uh, Les Miserables is the same way, but it's all music. It's a great play encompassed in a musical form, just like operas are, just like uh, Sweeney Todd. My God, even that's like an opera now. Uh, uh, I got to do a Kiss of the Spider Woman. My God. Uh, those are iconic writers that wrote the music. Freaking Terrence McNally wrote the book. So it's, it's beautiful. I love musical theater. For some reason, if it's done well, for me, um, it aligns all the different kind of places in me, my mind, my music, my heart, my breath, my feet on the ground, my ass in the sea. You know, I, I've noticed from <laughs> I've noticed from hearing different interviews with actors, a lot of them that start out in theater and do movies and TV, they always they always talk about theater as some of like the best work they ever did. Did you do you uh, feel a similar way? I mean, do you think I, back well, fondly? Actually, no, I don't because theater. And film and television, I think, depending on which TV show you're in, because some TV shows they shoot like a film shoots, which is a lot slower than regular TV shows. Theater, film, and television are three different art forms. They're three, three different mediums, not only for the writers and the directors and the actors, uh, but the audience, too, you expect a different thing from each one. So if you're doing a theater piece, right, just a regular, like, we're, we're talking, like, 
we're going to do like a short film, uh, a TV show, sizzle reel, you know, whatever it is. However you start it, you got to, you know, work on the script, right? You got to write the script. Then for a theater piece, you get the actors to read it, see if it sounds good. This is the same kind of process for each of those. This is where it differs. Once you get it up on its feet, you get it in rehearsal. Um, in the theater, you have sometimes three weeks, sometimes eight weeks, depending on how much money you have, so that everybody gets to know each other, right? We all get the words in us, the, the movements on the stage, you know, you mark it out. You have eight weeks of rehearsal. Then you go into a theater and you have another week or two sometimes of just tech rehearsals where they get all the lights working, they get the, the moves on the sets, the ins and the outs, the, the, the voices positioned right on the stage, the, the sound of the orchestra prepared to, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And everybody gets to know each other and you go out to lunch with each other and you're there, you know, at the beginning of the day after you're showered and shaved and at the end of the day after you've danced your ass off all day, thrown up because you're so tired two times and you're all stinking and smelling like, uh, you know, Olympic athletes in theater <laughs> Yeah. Okay, now you go to TV, you got eight days to shoot 60-page script, right? That you haven't even seen a lot of times until the morning you get to the set. So you got to learn whatever scene you're going to do that day on the spot, in the makeup chair, and then as soon as the sun rises, they grab you by the scruff of your neck and they take you out and they throw you in for a rehearsal. You're lucky if you get one rehearsal. If you don't know anybody on the set, it's like, oh, hi, I'm Wade, you know, now in the COVID time. You know, uh, maybe you're lucky enough to, oh, this is Wade, we worked in it. Now all of a sudden, these people realize, oh, maybe the guy might know what he's doing. Uh, and then you got like, 30 minutes to go back and get your costume on, come back and shoot the darn thing with actors you've never met or don't even know. That's a guest star, right? Yeah. You do that until you in eight days and you're done. Then you never see those people again a lot of times, ever. Although the crew, a lot of times in film and TV, I'll come onto a set and I don't know anybody, but I'll always know somebody on the crew. And that's one of the family that way. Film. Sometimes you take, so a, a, an eight page, an eight day shoot on a 60 page script is like what? Six, seven pages a day, right? Yeah. In a movie, they have any money, even if it's kind of a low budget thing, they'll take a whole day to shoot one thing. They'll take a whole afternoon to shoot one thing. They'll take three or four days to shoot one thing. I remember I did an, uh, a scene and collateral, and it all depends on money. Because time is money. Uh, it's the scene in collateral where I play one of the FBI agents. You know, see me because Paul Paul Edelman was. Uh, we were together. He was Fed number two or one. Anyway, he's like six four, and he was always in front of me, so you never see see me. But if you see Paul, maybe you'll see my shoulder. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we were shooting this scene where. Tom Cruise is getting attacked in the nightclub, right? And it ended up being 30 seconds of the movie, 30 seconds, the whole scene. We shot that for four weeks straight, all night long. Oh, wow. So that's where money gets you. So that's amazing. So they're completely different pairs. 
The only difference is that um, when you're in a film and television show, just like uh, theater, at theater at at 8.07, that's when the curtain comes up in New York City and you got to be ready. You got to have it. And in film and television, after sitting in your trailer for 14 hours that day without doing anything because they keep changing the schedule, and all of a sudden you're going to knock on your trailer door going, wait, they're ready for you. Wait's on the fly. He's running in, right? You got to be able to be ready out of the freaking blue to pull the performance out of your ass in the middle of the desert at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, yeah, you know, I never thought about it like that, but yeah. Um, so yeah. it's just, but it's the same in a way. Right. 807, I don't give a shit what your day was like, brother. <laughs> gotta be ready. To- in these seats right here right now yeah gotta be ready to go um anyway i don't know did that answer your question oh definitely definitely um so you've been in a lot of tv shows like like we were talking about um and you're one of those guys like i'm sure you see a lot of the same guys when you're uh going in for certain parts like a glenn fleshler um or uh michael kostroff I don't know if you know those guys. Um, I know those guys. They, um, I'm sure I've not recognized their faces. That's um, the same thing like me and them, is you don't know our names. Right. But if right. you see our faces, you go, oh, yeah, that guy, I know that guy. Definitely. That guy who was in that thing, it's just it's about that whole deal. Where I, like, I actually watched that. I saw that on Netflix. Uh, yeah. That was a good one. Um, but you, you guys are the type of guys that, you know, I always get excited when I see you in an episode of something because oh, I know, yeah, I know you're going to, you're going to play. You're not just, you know, some, some characters are memorable in those shows. And then some of them you forget it when the episode's over, but you guys are always like the type that, you know, you bring something to it. And oh, what a great compliment. Thank you very much. So my question is, is there a mindset or an intensity that you tap into when you're playing somebody that's a bad guy, a evil guy, a tough guy? Is there some place you gotta? I mean, I know it's acting, obviously, but is there like a a certain place you go in your mind when you do that stuff? Well, I just think it goes down to what uh, the great Christian, the first Christian monastic saint, is a guy named Saint Anthony the Great. He started. Christian monasticism in the Eastern Church, which continues now in the Western Church as well, like the Catholic Church and other churches, the Jesuits. But he's the guy that started it, St. Anthony the Great. You know what he said? And here's how I approach every character I play. All men are capable of all things, the greatest good and the greatest evil. Hmm. We can justify any action in our mind. Sure whether it's a good action or not. As a matter of fact, there's a whole Eastern kind of philosophy about the idea of what is right action, right? I don't know. So I don't judge people. I figure they must have a good reason to want to kill somebody, right? right. It must be a good justification. So I, a lot of times I approach most of these characters out of a sense of kind of that. And this is one reason why I think every murderer of any type should be deemed insane. They should automatically get the insanity 
and they should get thrown away, not thrown away, but put away in a place where maybe they can get some help and keep everybody safe. Uh, because you're crazy to even think about killing somebody else, for one thing. But the deal is, you can justify anything. And religion is one of the best ways to do it. Also, revenge is another good way to do it. Although you don't think of it as revenge when you're trying to get revenge. You think of it as justice. Right. Yeah, that's, you know. Difference? Yeah, I get it. I, um, yeah, definitely. But if I play him like a bad guy, I'm an asshole. I love fucking people up all the time. You know, there are people like that, too. Yeah. That just love fucking people up. And they get a big fucking thrill out of them. They love it. I've met them. Haven't you? Yeah. You're a freaking private detective. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But at the same time, they're doing that because of some reason why they think they have the freedom to do it. They think they have the right. Yeah. Where does that come from? It's, it's always a good place to have. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned St. Anthony. I, I live in an Italian neighborhood up here and the St. Anthony's Festival is always right next to my house. <laughs> so I love St. Anthony. Yeah. Uh, and I'd heard that quote before. That's that's a that's a good one. That's a you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but um I see that <laughs> I I do see that in your performances cuz like I said, you're one of those guys that, you know, like uh like you were talking about before with the theater roles. Um, there's a generic way to do all this stuff. You know, there's a, you know, you prototype. prototype. And, but, yeah. but I always get excited when it's someone like, like you or some, you know, some of those guys I mentioned, because I know you're going to, you're going to do something different with it. Um, well, that is a wonderful compliment. I got to tell you, that is a great compliment. Um, and I got to say, I kind of understand it uh, because sometimes, And I think those other two guys were their names again. I'm going to look them up. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, I'm sure I've, I know I've been in the room with them a million times waiting our turn to go in. No, I did. I'm sure. Um, Glenn. But, you know, us guys like us, when we go to auditions, man, we're like, it's this is a performance we're going to give. So it's not like we're in there like, going, you know, how's everything going? No, we're in there like we're ready to right. 8.07, right? Yeah. Exactly. Wait, you're up. You walk in the room, there they all are. You sit down uh, and they push the camera, go. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That, Thanks, Jake. <laughs> <See ya. laughs> those, uh, yeah, those, those two guys I mentioned were Glenn Fleshler. Um, he was in Boardwalk Empire and uh, a million other things. He, he, He's been in a bunch of TV shows, and uh, yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael the other one, and he was uh, his biggest one was in The Wire. Um, he was the lawyer for all the guys, um, but he's been in a million things too. But um, you know, my wife always kind of picks on me a little bit because uh, she's, you know, because I get excited like you know when a character, you know pops on the screen and I'm like, oh, this guy's in this. This is going to be good. And she's like, how do you know these? I'm like, I just watch, <laughs> a, I just watch a lot of TV and, uh, you know, so 
I'm, I'm that kind of TV dork with, with that stuff. Um, you should look up this thing called the Carney Awards, like Art Carney, C-A-R-N-E-Y, Carney yeah. Awards. Have you heard of them? No. Okay, my buddy, uh, Jim Katz and his brother David Katz are great guys. And they uh, know, uh, I can't remember the guy's name because I'm not a, a talk radio dude, but a very famous talk radio guy. Uh, who has been supporting them in these Carney Awards uh, in honor of Art Carney, who's a character man like us. Like you're talking about me and the other two guys, we're character men. Yeah. You know, we don't play the same dude all the time. Um, and so every once in a while, you're lucky, uh, like I was a bit with Bellick, uh, to get a little attention from one of those character dudes you play. Um, I'm sure these guys have too, like on uh, The Wire and on... Um, the Boardwalk Empire, those yeah. freaking shows. Um, anyway, these guys started an award show called the Carney Awards for character dudes like us. You should look it out. I think you can get them online. Yeah, and I was on the for the first few years, uh, but I haven't been an actor long enough to actually win the award. And also, the award only goes to character actors who've never won an won an Emmy or an Oscar. Oh, okay. Um, and in business, I think it's more than 25, 30 years. I can't remember. So you're, we're talking about all the greats, you know. Yeah. Well, you're, 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 you're coming up on 25 years, right? Because uh, I think I saw your yeah. first things. We were like not in TV. No, I, they only count TV and film. See, I was an actor professionally since 87. Right. Uh, and I started working on Broadway in 90. Uh and doing those big national tours as a, as a singer. I was a singer for the first 10 years of my career. And I came to L.A. in 98 with a music called Ragtime that was on the way to Broadway. And uh, I did that there as the pre-Broadway run. And I started getting like, film TV work because I got an out of my contract. I got a TV show or a movie. I could do it. I ended up doing like three TV shows on the movie. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'll stay in L.A. And, uh, but that was only in 2000. So I've really only been in the business, in the TV and film business. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't trying to make you feel old. I just, um, no, no. no. (laughs) Um, so like I was talking to you, uh, I want to do a deep dive. That's, you know, the, the, Name All right, person. let's go. And um, so I, you know, I went through your IMDb and stuff, and I picked shows that I remember watching, you know, or I liked. <laughs> um, so I remember. Yeah, well, I'm sure some of these you'll, I'm sure some of these you'll remember more than others. But um, right. I saw your first role was in uh, the Profiler with uh, Ali Walker. Um, uh, do you remember doing that one? That was my very, 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 very first TV show. Yeah. I was doing the musical showboat. I was there doing the musical showboat for six months at the Amundsen Theater with Cloris Leachman and Ned Beatty. I was playing the bad guy and the drunk. Pete and the drunk and 
I did that there for six months. That was in 1996, maybe 97. It's the first time I went to LAH. And uh, I had a good agent there uh, who was bi bi coastal, probably bipolar too. <laughs> anyway, uh, they, uh, so they hooked me up with a few auditions, and that was the very first one I ever got. It was like two lines. Wow. Uh, I had a cute little musical theater girlfriend at the time. She was uh, lovely. Uh, Marlene, anyway, she came to the set. We hung out in my honey wagon, and I thought I was in heaven. Uh, we shot it somewhere like in, uh, somewhere really nice, like South Pasadena. Beautiful. Anyway, uh, and I was, of course, a rapist or something, I think. But, you know, bad guy right off the bat. Right. I remember yeah. that was a good show. That was a really, that was an early, um, I know this is some kind of a uh, little bit of TV dork uh, trivia, but that was that show kind of set up the whole CSI. It was kind of like the one of the first those type of procedurals. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was before Criminal Minds. She was the first like one to do really do the profiler thing on a on a TV show. So it was. You know, who's another great actor that's in that. I did a movie with her um, called Route 9. It was the very first movie I ever did. Uh, she played like the boss. Uh, what's her name? She's, the, she's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, the boss, she's kind of a dark-headed lady. Uh, it's been a while since I've, I've seen that show. I'm going to... I, I, I know her name, so I'm having the tip dunk syndrome. Anyway, I'm a big fan. Yeah, that the whole time. That's one of those shows that I'm going to probably go back to and uh, stream. Now, now that we can watch all these uh, shows on on anything, you know. Um, I know it's weird. Yeah. Back in the old days, when you'd have a TV show or a movie air somewhere, you'd have to track down the movie. You had to get a copy of it to get your for your reel. Yeah. Now, man, everywhere it's like it's, it's yeah. so. You had to find some, you know, weird uh, store that would record it for you when it aired, or you had to get yeah. some kind of copy of it, or you know, just to make a reel for your. Yeah, I I've heard that. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely changed. Streaming's changed everything. Actually, that was I just did an episode about that with a, a produ you know, a producer in LA. She did my show. Actually, went to school with her, and. Um, She's she's getting into the streaming, um, figuring out a way to you know monetize the whole streaming thing a little bit better and stuff. You know, like yeah, exactly. I want old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Star Trek. All What's that? Men are capable of all things. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <Going> on. <laughs> um, so the next show, Star Trek Voyager. Um, oh. Do you, uh, you know, I told you I'm a big Star Trek fan. Um, did your character in that one, did you have to wear a lot of makeup? Um, or yes. That was... The first time 
that I had to wear special effects makeup, especially on your face. I had it on my face and my hands during that. And uh, it was five hours to put on, two hours to take off. And Michael did it along with his assistant, the famous Michael guy. I can't remember his last name, but Westmore. Michael Westmore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He 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 helped design it and everything. They did, you know, a mold of my head and they, they did it. And um, I thought I was much handsomer as that freaking alien dude than <laughs> I was in you. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, Seven of Nine did too. I really had a good time working with her. She was great. It was just her and me for that whole freaking episode. And I had no idea that like what I was doing because I was in the theater. Right? I had no idea what TV was. I had no idea who was good, you know, who like the names were, what shows were hot, you know, because I was doing shows eight nights a week from freaking, I'd get there at 7.30 and I wouldn't be done until 11. At that point, that was like during the 90s uh, and I was on the road too. I didn't have a freaking video recorder I could record my TV shows on. I was just, you know, at the Liberty of the freaking network. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you probably caught you that show. They all the money too. Look what happened. Look what happened. Yeah. Streaming comes along. Tell that to you. Yeah. You probably caught that show too when it was pretty hot because 709, when she came on that show, she really knocked it up, you know. He would, she's a total, uh, you know, world beauty. Come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there you have it. But I had a great time working with her. And uh, it was a real experience having that makeup put on and off me every time I came in. And uh, having to act with it on and get used to the feel of it on your face. Look at these huge wasps that are here. Oh, wow. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I thought that was like a hummingbird. Oh, yeah, that's a June bug. Uh, oh. There's some bugs here in the desert, let me tell you. Yeah, I had a great time doing that. Uh, and uh, I also enjoyed it because um, it's more like theater doing that show. They want you to do it verbatim. I mean, talking and and oars, just like in the theater. I mean, you can't, but, you know, I don't, I know Shakespeare wrote it, but my character wouldn't say that. You, know, you can't pull that shit. Right. Like if, you, if the show was written by the writer, you can't be like, you know, uh, in the in movies and TV, actors are like, you know, my character wouldn't say that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've heard some some shows, they uh, they want you to do it for verbatim, and that, uh, some shows they let you. David Milch is like that. I love working. I did a NYPD episode. Well, He's that, like that. I love that. I, you know, it's my job to make the, the writer's uh, uh, work come to life. And how I'm am I going to do that? I'm changing that was actually the next one I was going to bring up was NY, NY, NYPD Blue One, because that's actually a really good episode. Um, your yeah, episode. You like that one? Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember your brother, you got. Oh, he, yeah. He, oh, he's, he's a friend. He's, I, I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, we worked together. Mark, Mark, Mark Peregrino. I want it's like the water, but it's Peregrino. Per- Something yeah, like he, that. He's great. We did another. We did a pilot together about astronauts too. I like him a lot. He's a great actor too. Yeah. He's like those that you mentioned. Too. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's yeah he's one of those guys that I'm always like, oh, he's in a he does he's he's doing a lot of stuff. I've seen him and stuff. Recently, a lot too. Um, we had a great time doing that episode together, um, and uh, I was just amazed. Also, Dennis Franz. There's some 
point in there where he has a monologue on the phone. And it's about a minute long, right? This monologue, which is the whole page, page minutes. So the whole page for the monologue written by David Mills, which is very interesting uh, kind of linguistically uh, and uh, musically and tempo-y. It's just interesting. Didactic. Anyway, they handed that Dennis Franz and said, You got to be ready to do this in 10 minutes. A whole minute long, more than that, maybe, David Miller's monologue. Hmm. And I was like, and that was the, I think that was the second TV show I had ever done. Maybe. I might have done. Uh, what was it? Uh, Chicago Hope first. But I was like, how's he going to do that? I remember sitting there watching him. He looked at it for a few minutes. And this is in the middle of the freaking set. Everybody's rolling around. And all the coughing. For about two minutes. And he goes, okay, I got it. Sit down at the fucking thing. And he shot it. Holy shit! <laughs> it is gone. And it's beautiful. Watch it. You can see it on the on the thing. Yeah. I that's one of <laughs> that's amazing. I was like, okay, that's what I gotta be able to do. Yeah. He's gonna nice... keep a job on a fucking TV show. Because uh, I gotta be able to do that. I yeah. saw another lady do it too on. Family Law was John Ritter. Who was the gal on that? Uh, she won an Oscar. What's her name? The, the, the actor. The uh, Catholic, Catherine. She won an Oscar for, for the astronaut movie. With oh, Sam uh, Sandra Bullock? No, the oh. astronaut. The, 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 the right stuff. She won an Oscar. Oh, okay. I don't... I, I, Family Law didn't make my list. I, I don't remember that. I saw them do the same thing to her. Yeah. Uh, they sat her down. She had sat in a makeup chair in the morning right next to me, getting her makeup put on. And they handed her like a two-page monologue of her very first scene. Uh, and it was like, you know, the closing statement of the fucking, it was a law show. Yeah. Two pages. She took a one look at it. She goes, give me an hour. That's what you got to be able to do. Yeah. My character wouldn't say that. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's got to be interesting. See, you know, seeing, especially when you're starting out and then seeing these veterans like, uh, you know, um, why am I blinking? Oh, Dennis Franz. You know, yeah, my Dennis Franz and, uh, I'll think of her name in a minute. And uh, John Ritter, I got to meet and uh, work with. I mean, I got to work with with uh, Ernest Borgnine on a, a cool episode of uh, I think it was a Walker Texas Ranger man. Uh, He's my favorite actors of all time, man. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Gave me a couple of good hints about how to play bad guys and uh, where to put your eyes and stuff. He was really great. I, yeah. I, you know, those guys taught me. Uh, you know, if you just, I don't know. I remember when I was singing opera, uh, I did this big production of uh, Don Carlo at Tulsa Opera. And they had Sam Raimi, Tom Troyanos, and 
uh, uh, Jerome Hines as the, the, the grand inquisitor, and I was just a lowly, you know, chorus member. You know, I'm you know playing a servant or something. And I had a couple of horns that I would pounce at, give out. But we would all, even the big stars, Sam Raimi, whenever one of their, this was like a huge kind of international big deal that it was you know, going on. We would all sit in the wings and watch them do it. It's amazing to watch somebody create like that. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and that's your dream, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely know I couldn't do it. Um, I like more of the writing stuff myself. Yeah. But well, writers do. You know, that's you know, read that David Mill stuff. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. I love uh, David Zabel stuff. How do you do that? Uh, yeah, Milch is great, and uh, the. The Soprano guys, uh, like Terry Winter, is a good, really good TV writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all those guys. Um, I mean, I, wow. Prize the text. That's what I say. Um, yeah. So the next one, The X Files. Oh. Do you remember that one? Oh, I hear what you think about that. Because that was an interesting experience. But I want to hear what you think about it first. So I can I can so I can kind of put myself back into. <laughs> um, well, that's one of those shows that you know. I think it was ahead of its time. Um, I think a lot of shows nowadays try to be the X Files, and they don't they don't do as nearly as good of a job. Um, that's one of the ones where I can't say I I've seen that episode that you're in recently, so I don't remember exactly who you played on that one. Um, okay. Well, I'll tell you what it is. What this is, I was wondering if you had seen it because the character I play is what he goes through <clears throat> uh, is kind of integral to my experience. So I'll just tell you the story very okay. short. Uh, so this guy I played, I think his name was Ray, uh, works in a Garbage dump in the middle of nowhere, you know, moving the garbage around. Well, you know, there's a mad scientist in the X-Files somewhere in the world who had this barrel of like, you know, ultra freaking, you know, toxic fucking solution that he knew was illegal to dump anywhere. But he disguised it, of course, and he went to this tiny little dump in the middle of fucking nowhere, you know, and he gives it to fucking Ray. He doesn't even own the dump. He's just doing his fucking job. And he takes this, you know, barrel of toxic material or whatever, puts it wherever he puts it in the fucking place. Uh, somehow. A few days later, he notices that his weird eye eyebrow and he pulls one out and it's metal it's M-E-T-A-L he's turning slowly he realizes into metal he's metamorphosizing slowly and as he does this his the mass that his body contains is like that of like maybe a freaking I don't know 
gray dwarf or maybe like a tiny black hole. So he has so much mass to him as he's turning into metal that like a car runs to him, uh, it runs into him and it, it, he splits, he's standing there like nothing's happening. The car splits and shit like that. Anyway, so that's the story. Yeah. I won't tell you the end of the spoiler, but my experience was that I had to start off in the middle of that show. I think it took three weeks to shoot it. So the first thing they did was take a little piece of metal hair in my eyebrow. Well, as that show went on, for the last two weeks, as I had turned completely metamorphosized into metal, my arms were metal, my chest was metal, my part of my head was metal, my face was metal, my back was metal. Well, it took them, and there was four makeup artists working on me, eight hours to put the makeup on just to get me shoot ready. Eight hours. Wow. If I had, say, a 9 a.m. call to shoot, that means I had to get to the makeup trailer, wherever it was, Fox Studio, on set, wherever it was. We were in a dump yard at one point. Eight hours before I was ready to shoot. So midnight, the night before, they would sit me in the chair. They would put, I'll be in the makeup chair for eight hours. Then at at nine o'clock, they would start to shoot me. And I would shoot sometimes 14 hours, right? Well, if they needed me, and they did a lot of times, back on set the next morning at like 10 o'clock, well, they had to realize that it took eight hours for me to get ready, right? So many times during that show, I had what's called a force call, which is in Screen Actors Guild, you have 12 hours between the time you leave the set until you you have to come back. Um, So they can't, and if they do force call, they got to pay a thousand bucks. Well, these guys, a lot of times they force call an hour or two. Well, I remember one time I got off work at 11 o'clock in the morning after working 24 hours straight. Oh, it also took them five hours to take it off. Oh. So say I finished at like one o'clock in the morning. Then I was in the makeup chair all night with four people with glue, trying to get glue off of me. I ended up having to shave my chest and my arms because the glue was off. Because they built the whole thing every night. So it wasn't like they put it on me like it was preformed. They had to do it all yeah. piece by piece. I was exhausted. I had one. I had a couple of times where I literally had a two-hour turnaround oh. where I would go into my trailer, and they couldn't leave it on for two days because it looked horrible. It just it, right. by the end of the day, falling apart. <laughs> That's, That's a- the, glamour, the glamour of the life. <laughs> um. Well, that kind of funnily. That- <laughs> That leads me to my one after one 24 hour day. I think it was the first 24 hour day. I cried when I got out of the trailer after they ripped that shit off me yeah. at sunrise. And I said, I don't they think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> they rubbed me on the back and gave me a cup of cu- a cup of coffee and said, Come back in four hours. Thanks, brother. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's uh I don't know. That's like Sisyphus. 
And those that had been pretty good makeup people to be on the X Files too, because uh, they were mean. They were mean. As a matter of fact, they were mean. The they lady mean. that did it to me, uh, the, the head lady, she didn't give a crap about me at all. Oh wow! The other makeup ladies were whispering to me. She didn't give a crap about me at all. She would rip hairs out of my arm. She ripped a whole patch of hair out of my head because it had Good. glue and metal and shit in it. Wow. She didn't. He was just he was, out for the. I got. I'm in the X Files and I'm the head dude. Yeah, you think people like that one less in the business? of all things. Yeah, true. You would think people like that wouldn't wouldn't keep getting hired, but you know. You know yeah. what? The <laughs> TV show. Yeah. If you got a slave driver that's making a good, good freaking. Because, you know, I want all the money. I don't want anybody to take any part of my place on the network schedule. Right. So they'll hire a slave driver and a, a real abuser. Um, yeah. As long as they get the money. As long as they get the number. Because the number's about money. Advertising. Yeah. I believe it. Which um, is why I like <laughs> So the next one, actually, this is a good segue because you did Star Trek Enterprise. Later. Oh yes. Um, different characters. That one. Oh, for sure. Okay, I, now I, I want to hear about that one. Let me hear about that. <laughs> um, let me let me take a look and see what episode because I've watched every Star Trek episode, um, multiple times. So I definitely, uh, definitely seen that one. Let me see. Uh, I got some stories about that one too. Oh yeah, how was the makeup different on that one compared to uh, the first Star Trek? Well, I didn't have the five-hour makeup, did. Uh, but what they did was they put me in this wig, and when I was in that wig, and I used to get this when I had a little more hair. I used to people used to say I looked like William Shatner. This is when I was in the theater. Oh, you look a little like William Shatner. Well, when they put that wig, I think I look like William Shatner. They put me a couple little like alien gills or whatever, just little like, rubber things. It only took um, 45 minutes to put on, five minutes to take off. Uh, I do remember that episode. You're the guy that, oh, I just got to let my cat out. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I'm like a dude in a curio shop or something. <laughs> yeah, you were the you were kind of the secret alien on an alien planet. They, yeah, but I was disguised as like an antique dealer dude. Yep, definitely remember that one. Well, I got a funny story about that. Uh, first of all, that's where I met Scott Bakula, who's also another great theater guy. He cut his teeth on Broadway as well. Great dancer and singer, so you know. He yeah. has a couple of great famous Broadway album recordings, just so you know. Stuff I do. Uh, anyway, and also he did me a great favor when we did a show in Portland once. On the way back from the show, I think it was a Gina Davis pilot. Uh, these streaming services are so cheap. They pay actors like me $5,500 to do a three-week TV show. 
Oh. The star, $40,000. And also at the, at the time, SAG was giving it away for us because uh, and they used to give us first class tickets so that we didn't have to wait in the line, go through security. And uh, yeah, our bags came out first because a lot of times, you know, you go from one gig to the next or you're out of town for weeks and weeks at a time and it just makes it easier. But we got to the airport in Portland. This is after working all night long, 24 hours a night. We drove back actually from Seattle. We drove back from Seattle that night together in the van. They dumped us both off at the airport at nine o'clock in the morning. I didn't have screen actors go, gave away my, because I was a guest star, uh, first class ticket. But he, of course, was the star. So he had, what he did at the airport, in one of those security alerts around the country. This was after 9 11. Yeah. And the line to get through, like the regular people, like me at that point, which I'm usually the regular people, except when I'm on a TV show and the producers pay for it, yeah. uh, was two hours to get through. And my plane left in an hour and a half. And I asked, I said, Can I? Can you give me a, can you, uh, make sure? Well, they will. Can you're in line? That's the way it is. Well, Scott saw that he came up with me and he said, Come with me, brother. He took me by the arm, and uh, of course, everybody knows who Scott right? is. Yeah. And, uh, he got me through, he got me through security. Isn't that a kind of person? Yeah, yeah. Scott Backett, it's Star Trek. I'm, I'm glad to hear he's a good guy because I. He's always been one of my favorites. I love Quantum Leap. That was a kind thing for him to do to me, for, for me. Yeah. And he was very nice to work with on the set, too. So was Jane Day. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, but that dude that I played, I can't remember his name, with a wig that looked like William Shatner. Right. Well, I just to England, and uh, I met this dude on Portobello Road. He was a friend of my ex-wife. And he was a real curio shop dealer right there in Portobello Road, that little shop with all these little knickknacks and cool little things, just like the dude. But he was he was English, and he spoke with, he was a bit of a He spoke with a, a kind of a, a wonderful, you know, kind of pretentious artistic, you know, right. and he was, uh, you know, uh, this is, uh, this object came from two Tutankhamun's grave. It was over 5,000. There's only one in the world. You can have it for 14 pounds, 14, 14 pounds. You know, that kind of thing. So I tried to do that on the show, and I did. Uh, it was an English accent, right? the whole thing. Yeah. And I even had a word nefarious, you know, the nefarious, I had to use the word nefarious. And I was just fucking around because I knew the guy was evil, right? So I mispronounced a few things along the way just so that you know that. You know, maybe he isn't. Doesn't speak Klingon perfectly, right? So maybe there's a there's a red flag or something. So I said nefarious instead of nefarious, which the English would say nefarious. Right. Nefarious. The Indian should even one of the other had this world in my eyes. This is a cool idea. Well, I get. You know, after you do a TV show, it takes about eight weeks for them to kind of get it all together. And then they call you in to do ADR, which is when you have to go in and like reread a line or add a line, you know, dub yourself over. Right. You know, with 
some noise or the change, whatever. Well, I got away. I had to redo the complete performance that I gave. Oh, wow. You know why? They didn't like the English accent. No, they, that's not what they said. Uh-huh. They said aliens don't have accents <laughs> on Star Trek. And that's not true. It's not true. Yeah, I, I'm sure they've had they've had so many different Star Trek episodes. I'm sure somebody's done an accent. So I had to redo the whole thing. Not like it. When it got to the producers, I have to say, though, sometimes when I get on these shows, um, I have an idea to try to make it interesting for myself. You know, I think that's in a way, maybe with these other guys, too, too, too. I mean, how many bad guys do you play, right? So you got to find some way to make it fun, some kind of way to bring it to life for yourself. So sometimes I have an idea like that with that little English accent. Give me a little spark. Yeah. Give me a little weird. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think that uh, another Father Cronin. Just very weird. You know, just some weird. And sometimes people dig it. And sometimes, like this Star Trek episode. They don't. They well, don't. probably the. <laughs> <laughs> probably on some of them. I know uh, I've heard like certain. Like showrunners, uh, a real specific. Not not to keep bringing back up the Sopranos, but like uh, David Chase. I guess, I guess nobody was allowed to. Even uh, Gandolfini wasn't allowed to really. He got the most. Yeah, change of work. Yeah, that's that's like the theater. Same thing. I don't have any trouble with that. What I do have sometimes trouble with is when. I think this is really easy for a lot of uh, producers, showrunners, directors, even other actors sometimes. When you read a script, right? At first, you know, when we're trying to produce it, you, get, you know, you don't know the characters yet. You don't know who's going to play what. You have an image in your mind or, you know, you have some kind of action that they are, how they look, what they sound like. You know, just in your kind of imagination, right? When you were, like when you read a book, you know, yeah. given the description that the author gives you, you create some kind of, you know, picture, right? An image. Well, I think sometimes that image is so strong in the director or producer or showrunner. Uh, then when, and I think somebody like me or these other guys we're talking about, we never do the same thing. I've never played myself. So, um, when you hire a guy like me, and if you have an audition, you know what you're going to get. Uh, but a lot of times, I don't get auditions. They just call me and say, wait, wait, can you come? So sometimes I do have to take like the first day, the first scene, with if the director is up to it, to figure out what they'd like me, you know, because I'm not just like, this is my fucking idea. Okay. I like to play. You know, what are you looking for? Here's what I can, you know, how, you know, so we play. Like the yes and I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. But then you have other people who were just like, fuck you, man. Aliens don't have a fucking accent. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. That really amuses me. They pay the money to have me do 
three hours ADR to do uh, my freaking performance over again because aliens. Uh, uh, That's how uh, stupid it is. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a power game. Yeah, it's stupid, but I I actually like that line. I'm going to aliens don't yeah, have aliens sense. Don't have <laughs> That's funny. Um, they told me. <laughs> and they were all like puffy when I walked into the ADR. Yeah, because they're probably your guy and you're rolling our eyes at each other. <laughs> um all right. Got a few more. Um right. you, oh, these are good stories. I don't know. Oh yeah. They're no, def- definitely. I know they're weak. No, I like it. Um oh, yeah. so uh you did CSI and you did CSI Miami. Different characters. Um, how different were those two shows, you know, to work on, but from the same franchise? Okay. The first one I did was the CSI LA. Was it LA? I don't remember. Vegas, I think. Yeah, I think it was out of Vegas. I know it was a CSI. I know we shot it in, uh, where were we? North of LA on the five in uh, Valencia. Shot it in a little, uh, you know, studio there in Valencia, and uh, did a lot of the scenes around there. And I really liked the director that I worked with on that. My, my daughter had just been born, and she had a uh, weird apnea deal where she would stop breathing. Oh, and they were worried she die, so she was on a monitor for nine months, and that was right after I found out that I was in, uh, uh, she had been in the NICU at the time, and I had, was playing a character. I remember I told him about it during the audition, and I had drawn these dark circles under my eyes, see? <laughs> you couldn't tell like really like uh, eyebrow pencil, so it looked like really haggard, because I was playing some kind of drum. Good and degraded piece of shit. Yeah. Beat his wife or something. I'm always beating somebody. Right. Anyway, uh, and get ass kicked. That's everything I did. Ass kicked a lot on TV, especially. Um, anyway, he was very kind to me about that. And uh, I just remember one scene I had when I was doing Kiss of the Spider Woman, my friend. Uh, uh, Juan, who played the lead, and I was the understudy for Valentine. Anyway, uh, we used to do this thing about being really drunk, like this. <laughs> or like you're listening to a story from somebody, right? It's really right. boring, and you're just like, <laughs> not enough. Same, same. So, to make him laugh, I did that in the show in one scene where I'm sitting on the curtain. And he <laughs> saw it. And I, I learned that from Chico Rivera about how to mess with people like that. It gives you something to do that's fun, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like, I don't know. It, it brings, I don't know, it helps bring life to it so that it's not just same old, same some old. actor, some freaking actor trying to, you know, drum up some life out of a drunk guy on the curb 
in the middle of the night in Valencia uh, <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning uh, and uh, second meal pizza is on the way. And all you can think about is a slice of pepperoni. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's all I remember about that one. The other one was very interesting because it was with what's his name? Red hair. Caruso. David Caruso. He, you find this on some of these TV shows that the star uh, likes to direct it, even though there is a director right. uh, who is directing it. But the star, you know, likes to give approval, likes to have approval. That was that. But he was fine to me. Uh, I had a nice time. I remember there was one place where uh, I was a scene with him. And uh, he was sitting at a glass desk. Of course, I was playing an asshole. So, you know, to be real asshole, I uh, it wasn't in the script. I put my boots, I was sitting in the chair, I put my boots up on his desk, right, on his glass desk. And I think at first it pissed him off because <laughs> he's David, right? Yeah. But I think he left it in after a while. I think it stayed. Uh, yeah. He was nice, and I, I love the director. Uh, uh, I can't remember her name. That's the thing, you know, I do these shows, and I, I'm in and out in eight days, ten days. I don't have time to – I have a lot of a lot of the energy I spend, to be honest with you, on doing a TV show is uh, just getting along with everybody. Yeah. You know, they don't know me. I'm coming in. They're a family, right? I'm this dude out of nowhere. They have one of me every week. All right. Right. Uh, I just want to be as worries uh, as uh, I, I don't want to make any trouble. I don't want to cause any pain. I want to suit up, show up, hit my lines, uh, uh, hit my marks, know my lines, uh, and do a good job. Uh, but I got to tell you, man, this high stress, those TV shows. Yeah. You go for nine months straight, you never, you only got two days off, uh, and you, you boogie, you start to. Uh, Four o'clock in the morning on Monday, and you finish uh, when the sun comes up on Saturday morning. Yeah. The next, and it goes for nine months, and it is, it's a bear. The crew, the actors, the, and they have a new director in every two weeks, every week. They have a yeah. new DP in every, uh, but the people that are in the show, you know, series regulars and the crew and the folks that kind of run it weekly. Dude, it is yeah. hard work. Well, you must have that reputation of being easy to work with or you wouldn't be in all these shows, you know? I don't know. That's interesting. I wonder about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to be. Yeah. I, I try I, to be easy. But sometimes you got to stand up for yourself, you know? Sometimes yeah. you have to look, brother. Uh-uh. I mean, not in terms of, like, what the show's about, but just, you know, You've got to say, look, I, I deserve to be treated in a respectful and uh, kind way. Yeah. Well, the next one, and this is uh, one that you played pretty, you know, you were in more than one episode, uh, the Bernie Mac show. Um, ah. Now, I got to say, this is a show I didn't necessarily watch, um, but I just thought it was interesting because, you know, he passed away kind of young. Um, yeah. But he seemed like a real 
from anything that I've read about him, he seemed like a real guy, you know, a real funny guy, but like a real, you know, what you saw on him on, on TV and stuff. He was kind of like that. What, what do you remember about working with him? He was always really kind with me. Uh, I remember that audition going in there. I had no idea what it was. Um, I kind of keep myself in the dark about stuff. I, you know, I don't need to know who the director is. I don't need to know what network it is. I don't need to know who's in it. I don't need to know anything. Just give me the script. Give me the audition piece. And I spend all my time on that. So I go in and I give my performance just like those guys. I go in. And my dad was a preacher. My dad was an Episcopal priest and an Orthodox priest. And uh, I got to tell you, Beware of the cloth, brothers and sisters. Beware. So, there's this Irish priest. And it's a funny story I have, too. It goes back to ragtime. Um, I played this guy. His name was Willie Conklin, bad guy, getting the shits on Cole House's car. And there's a scene, he's a fireman. And... Uh, I know Terrence McNally, the writer, because I had done uh, Kiss of the Spider with him, too, uh, and Candor and Ebb. And these guys were the dudes that wrote, uh, one of the lady wrote. Uh, anyway, I'm playing this dude, and it was set in, like, Brooklyn, 1895. So I go to the director, guy Frank Galati, who's more of an academic not really a director. He's more kind of a theorist, if you ask me. Anyway, I said, hey, what do you think about me doing this with an Irish accent? With Willie Conklin, he's an Irish guy. He even mentioned in the script by Terrence McNally. And he goes, no, no, I think that would be too stupid. So I went through all rehearsal, all the tech rehearsals that I did with a Brooklyn accent. We go through two, we had two preview performances. This is where Father Cronin comes from. We have three, two for preview performances. And at the intermission, I'm walking down the hall, backstage. I don't know where I was going. Uh, and Frank Galati and Candor and Ebb and Terrence McNally come up to me. And I'm like, uh-oh. And Terrence McNally looks at me. He looks at Frank Galati, the director, first. And he goes, hey, wait, can you do Willie with a Willie Conklin with an Irish accent? The <laughs> <laughs> director told me no. And I looked at the director and I said, what kind of Irish accent do you want? And he goes, oh, um, North Dublin. I'm like, okay. So I pulled some... I winked at freaking uh, Terrence McNally and I pulled some made-up Irish accent out of my ass. And I did the second act with that accent and it was in. From then on, I had this crazy Irish accent that I kind of made up because I told, I used to tell a joke in an Irish accent. So I used that same Irish accent and that's Father Cronin. That, that weird kind of like, the joke that I used to tell there's these two leprechauns and they have a wager. The only way to know who wins the wager is to walk through the moors to the convent and ask the nuns. That's Father Cronin. That's how I used to tell yeah. that joke. And that's the accident. I, isn't that weird? 
Yeah. Father Cronin. Just, you know, beware of man of cloth, man. Fucking Moliere wrote a fucking play about it. Uh, it's like uh, they all have. They're just, you know. You can, you can have sex with your congregation and not go to jail if you're a man of the cloth. Yeah. And you, you, can steal, you can steal the people's money, too. You can steal people's money and you don't, you don't have to go to jail. You're, they just move you to a different uh, parish and you can do it there, too. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have a problem with religion. It's just the way some people practice it. I agree. Um, so, Prison Break. Now, <laughs> as we talked about, that was the show that you you did the most episodes. You were in like 60... Prison Break. Well, my question about Prison Break is, um, you know, like we talked about, you did a lot of shows where, you know, you one episode in, but Prison Break, you did like 68, 60-something episodes. Um what did you take away? Yeah. What, what did you take away from being a series regular that that you hadn't necessarily done before? Working on a show for that many seasons. Well, How no, that? the main thing was money. Um, money because it's a steady gig. Uh, you know, you have you know you're going to be in like the first episode, first season. I knew I was going to be in. Uh, I think they picked the first season. I think they. They weren't sure what I was going to do. I don't know. There was all these rumors. But I had 10 episodes um, that I, I would probably get. We would probably do them. But remember, that was the first season. So you don't know. It could have aired two episodes and they would have canceled it. Right. So the first season, we were all on pins and needles. But then when the second season came through, we knew that, you know, and I didn't make a lot of money comparatively to the other actors. But comparatively, what I had been making as an actor before that, dude, that was a windfall for me. And uh, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a lot of money. But to me, it was. And uh, I was able to like help my sister pay back her student loans. I was help. Uh, I got. I was able to buy some musical instruments for me, my uh, ex-wife, a, a engagement ring that I'd always promised her, and. Uh, uh, you know, I was able to uh, take my family to see uh, my ex-wife family in England and Turkey, and my family came up. It was really nice, but it wasn't. Uh, so that was one big thing, uh, just having a pretty gig. But I was kind of a, you know, low on the totem pole character. So it didn't really do much else for me. And it didn't, like, make my career any better. I was back right. to the same thing. Yes, stars. But it was a good steady game. Yeah. And I was and, Yeah, uh, you know, I've I've heard from other actors and in interviews and stuff that sometimes when you catch on something that lasts a few seasons, it's it's a real nice change of pace, you know. Like like you said, you, you know if you got guaranteed money coming in, it's uh it's different. Like that documentary you were in. Uh, that we we're talking about on Netflix, the guy that was in that thing. Yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. A lot of those guys talked about. I remember the one actor. I don't remember his name. He said, um, he said, you know, some years he would do something. He'd work two months, and then he'd have six months off, and the money from the two things he did would be running out, and he'd get something else. And 
you know, just barely pull it off. And then the next year he'd get a three episode thing and it made his whole year kind of thing. So it's, uh, I think a lot. It's very, yeah, it's very, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think a lot of people don't realize they think, uh, Oh, I see that guy on TV. He's got to be a, a millionaire he's you know he's on he's on my tv show i watch you know but uh there's probably a working stick yeah i'm a working stick <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for the man there's a handful of guys that make the you know the millions and stuff but you know it's kind of funny because when i was talking to that the the producer on my last episode you know the big money used to and you probably know, you definitely know this. A lot of the big money was in film, right? Like, especially if it was, you know, like a Tom Cruise type, uh, you know, those guys. But now everybody's getting into doing uh, movies off of Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and whatever. Yeah, they don't cast stars on those. They don't cast stars in the leads on those because they're cheap. Right. And they also design those shows uh, so that the show is the star and they can lose any actor they want. Yeah. I can see that. But I... I, And this is just a guess on my part. I mean, I would say I... Who am I? Go ahead. uh, I think you're going to start seeing more of the big names getting regular shows because... You know, unless they're making a hundred million dollar movie, that those are those are going to replace the the old you know fifty sixty million dollar films that that you know not you know not the big budget sequel ones and stuff, but like the you know the one offs. And uh, I think you're going to see, and you're you're already seeing some guys, but I think you're going to see like a well Sandra Bullock, good example. She's an A-lister. She did that movie on Netflix, uh, that bird bird box or whatever. Um, you know how that works? Do you know how you understand how that, all that works? A little bit. When they that movie, look, look here, I'll just I don't know. I'm, I didn't mean to be uh pretentious. No, Sorry, I didn't no. ask that. No. What happens is they do the movie originally, that movie, what's it called? Bird box? Bird box, yeah. Well, they do it. With Netflix, hoping for a theatrical release, right? They want it to go to the theater. That's the idea. Right. If it doesn't get released by a distributor in the theater, because there's only a few of them that do distributions in theaters, then it goes to Netflix. So the reason why Sandra Bullock did that movie was not to be on Netflix. It was to be in a theater. It just wasn't for some reason. It wasn't sold to a distributor. Maybe it even was. For, and it had a couple of week tryout in a smaller place. And it, right. so yeah. I'm telling you, everybody in this business is looking for the home run. And even these people that, you know, I mean, look at all these great movies in the past that came from nothing, like a Blair Witch Project. Look yeah. at uh, what's that? Sling Blade. Uh, all these low budgeting movies, right? They hit a big time. There's been a lot of them, right? Uh, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. If it ain't good, 
to make it in theaters. It ends up on Netflix or HBO. Uh, sometimes they produce their own, um, but they're always kind of B movie. Right. B movie. Well, and this wasn't one of my questions, but I just thought of it. You worked on uh, that Three from Hell with Rob Zombie. Yes. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but I want to because I, I really liked uh, the Devil's Rejects that Rob Zombie did. Um, is he a, is he an interesting guy to work with? I, I only worked one day on that, and he is the kind of director that I'd like to work with. Like we're talking about the SESN, where I'm playing this like the prison character. They do this, you know. I was a what is it? I was a, a probation officer sitting at the desk. Uh, across the from the prisoner that we're trying, she's trying to get her his wife uh, character trying to get parole yeah. from the prison, and uh, so I had an idea. I had like three or four lines. I don't even know how much, and it was because of the one of the producers is a friend of mine, and I love Rob Zombie. Uh, also, I had another friend who was a big uh, Rob Zombie fan who had a friend who wanted to get into the makeup, uh, the like horror makeup business, and. Hollywood, and he just moved out from Minnesota. So I took the movie, really. Uh, well, to work with Rob Zombie, but also to get to go to the cast party with this kid that I met. And Mark, of course, he got to meet Rob Zombie. It was great. We had a good time. But I had an idea. because it's just this boring guy sitting at the desk, you know, with a few lines about, you know, questions about probation for this inmate. Right. So I decided that I would have, like, a bloody nose or, like, a really bad allergy. Or anything. So I had this piece of tissue paper and I told him that Rob Zombie before he starts to have an idea. I said, You want me to just do it or do you want me to tell you about it? He goes, Do it. Do it now for me. And so I had the little thing and I did my lines. That's good. He goes, I'm glad you did it now, but I did it with, you can't see it. They didn't use it, but I had some blood on the, the end of the, the tissue. Yeah. So it looked like I was trying to stop. You know how some people just have. Like these spontaneous bloody noses. So Man. that's the interesting thing that I was trying to add to this was this guy was trying to do this like weird meeting, parole meeting with this crazy lady. But at the same time, he had this fucking weird bloody nose going on. So <laughs> that's the kind of choices I make. So I don't have to act, right? <laughs> so I can th- try to keep, you know what I mean? Anyway, I love working with him because he was, you know, he, I was able to be part of the process. Yeah. Right. See, he was, he let me have an idea. And whether he accepted it or not didn't really matter. It was that he listened and he, le- and he looked at it. Yeah. There's a lot of directors won't even. Yeah. Or if they do, if you do say, show the idea, but they, they just. Yeah. It's no fun to work somewhere. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> and their shows usually aren't good they don't they don't pop because there's no life because they, yeah. they know it out of here yeah i knew he was going to be a good uh good director when i saw that devil's rejects because uh that's great i really enjoyed it. and the whole crew it was everybody was fun yeah it's like a family i guess they've done a bunch of those together so, yeah uh, um so so i'm going to go a little speed round here because if I did every show that you've been in, we'd it'd be a five-hour interview. And <laughs> but, I, I, I'm glad I remembered the ones you've mentioned. Yeah, you definitely have. Um, so, Criminal Minds. We talked about that a little before we were recording. 
because I just watched that episode. Um, that had to have been like working with a family because they they've been on that show quite a bit. You remember that one at all? That was kind of weird. I know that the I got an offer to do that, and I know that the, the producer uh, really loved the character that I was going to play, and had actually read it in a couple of the read-throughs beforehand. And so I was very excited to do that because I like the, the casting director there, and I liked all the people, uh, and I really liked uh, Joe Montagna. Yeah. Uh, he's an old Broadway dude too. Yeah. He he was in. The, Original production of Hair, Godspell. I mean, the guy's a musical theater dude. Uh, and he was like mystified however he got into the film and TV business. I don't know how that <laughs> I liked him a lot. Uh, you got to understand that even though there's, it's intense doing one of these shows, they don't yeah. have a lot of time and it, it, can, get, it can get funky. I, like- I had a good. I liked your performance in that one because a lot of times the cops that I'm rewatching that show right now. So a lot of times the guys that bring them in, they get a couple lines and blah, blah, blah. But your guy was really intense because you were the, your episode was the one where the, they, you guys just kill the, 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 yeah, we, we, we administer justice. Yeah. We're like, and I have a big argument with, that whole squad, right? Yeah. Uh, about, you know, you can't fucking let this guy get away into your yeah. fucking court because he's going to, are, they're monsters, right? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? See, but that's the whole, you know, Anthony the Great, you know, who's, uh, who's going to, what is true justice, right? Right. Yeah. And that's, but that one made it different from a lot of the other ones because, a lot of times, I've never seen the show. yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, I, I, yeah. Take my word for it. A lot of the times, it, it was that, that was a different ending than a lot of the, the episodes. That's why it's memorable because uh, you know the, the one guy lets you kill him, you know, and he's like, "Do it," because those guys, the guys you kill him that were real bad dudes. I, I remember they were horrible, and they were and they were like you know. What, who was the, you know, I remember I was, I was watching a, uh, I watch documentaries. I don't watch movies or TV. I don't know. I just, I'm not a, I just never, I, when I was a kid, my, my, we couldn't watch TV. Then my dad was a preacher, you know, and they're very, you know, can be very strict. So we weren't able to watch TV as a kid, uh, as kids, except for, we could watch the news and we could watch, the National Geographic uh, special if it was on. And we could watch a few cartoons in the afternoon until the news came out when it was on. And so I don't know. I'm not a TV dude. I love documentaries. I was watching this one about this guy. I think it was called the Night Strangler or something. The Night. He was in LA back in the Night 80s Stalker. or 90s. Yeah. Night Stalker. Yeah. What do you do with that guy? The only reason why he wasn't killed, I think, was because the fucking neighborhood found him, right? Yeah. The, he was found. Discovered. Because. Yeah, that guy was. I mean, can you imagine being a cop or a detective that's seen all those people that he's brutal, you know, just tortured and murdered? 
Yeah. See, everybody in a lot of fucking trouble, right? The government, a lot of money. Yeah. 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 And he's, he's, he's the he's the one that the whole neighborhood got together and they beat him up and citizens. Yeah, but they didn't kill him, did they? No, they didn't, but <laughs> they probably could have got away with it. You know? If they argue, yeah. I will. There was something, uh, anyway, but that's the, that's the dude, that's the cop that I was playing that yeah. had seen that these guys had done. And uh, I don't know, man, I used to work in a hospital. Here's kind of another idea about like that kind of thing. And I used to do a, be an orderly in surgical ward. <clears throat> so if you had like a broken arm, like in a, you're in a car accident, your arm is broken in half and your bone is sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would have to hold your arm up while they washed the wound off, got all the shit out of your bone. Right? Then, in order for them to put a pin in it, I would have to hold, pull your arm. I would have to like strap myself and pull your arm out while they're drilling a pin in your bone. Right. Now, when I was younger, I could do watch that happen. Which I don't know. If, did you have any images in your mind about that yeah. when I was giving it to you? I mean, I'm yeah. talking, you know, your bulbous fat hanging out, and ble- bleeding shit, and, right. and uh, ten people in the room trying to get it done. Pull harder, Wade. Call another orderly. Sometimes we'd have to get two of us yanking on somebody's arm trying to get the bone displaced. The I was okay with that, but at a certain point, just like this detective that I played, it, I couldn't, we'd have to, I'd have to say every once in a while, I'd be in one of those. I remember one time I was watching a guy who was in a car, a motorcycle accident. He had snapped both bones in his leg, both the tibia and the fibula, uh, the tibia and the wherever the one on the back is. Uh, and I was having to hold his leg, which was buckling back and forth because the bones, both bones were broken. Yeah. And I got, uh, they asked, just said the nurse, call another orderly. That's this guy. Call another orderly. Uh, I can't, you know what I mean? So you yeah. just like, fuck it. I mean, you just, your heart breaks and you, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You just um, can't do it. Uh, how about Monk? All I remember about that one is, of Trout and a Little Boy. And I played some kind of cop, I think. Or maybe it was a school principal. I remember. I remember meeting uh, Tony Shalhou. And uh, since I had been in the Orthodox Church, the Lebanese Orthodox Church, or Syrian Orthodox Church, I had heard that he might have been Syrian uh, from Syria or of Lebanese descent. And I asked him that, and he said, well, he was saying I'm from a lot of places. <laughs> That's the last I worked. You know, he, I don't know. He was got to be careful on these sets. You know, some people don't watch it. Right. About. So I sat in the. I think I sat on the uh, on the edge of the grip truck most of that show instead of with the guest. But um, I was the guest. Star. Yeah, and that was his show. Um, and a kid. What about uh, Grim? Oh, I got to see my friend Silas from Prison Break. We also had been done a few things back before that. He's an old friend of mine, Silas. Weird Mitchell. Uh, I met this really kid, a cool kid named Jack, who played my son. He was a great guy. He's a, uh, he lives in uh, Portland. 
Uh, he actually came down and helped me move once. He'd been down and uh, visiting his family in Orange County. He had a little truck help me move. Uh, and then what else? Uh, who else did I meet there? Uh, I got to do that weird transformation where they put the dots in your face and it turned into some kind of animal. That yeah. was fun. Yeah. Uh, I like Portland. I've, I've done a few things there. That's a beautiful city. I'm sorry they're having trouble these days. Oh, that's. I was wondering if they shot in Portland because it it feels like they did. So that's good to know that it's not just some California, you know, set. Yeah, it's a cool town. I shot like three or four things up there. I always enjoy going up to Portland. Uh, what about Longmire? Oh, we shot that in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I think I was there two days. And I got to work with Zahn, uh, who's great. I just did a movie with him. Everybody look out for this one. It's called Last Harbor. He's one of the stars. Uh, it's, it's a Native American story from out here, actually. Yucca Valley, Joshua Tree, Banning, California, about the last manhunt. Yeah. It was, uh, it's about, uh, um, I think Redford did a movie about Robert Redford called Willie Boy Was Here or something. It's a remake of that story, but I think uh, from the uh, more truthful point of view, as opposed to the uh, white American manifest destiny uh, point of view that's right. presented in. I saw that uh, Jason Momoa uh, is in that, and he like helped write the script. He produced it. Yeah. yeah, he produced. It. He has some land out here somewhere. Uh, in the desert, I'm not sure. Not too far. We were actually shot on. I think. I think we were on it for a bit. It's so beautiful, just a you know spectacularly. Like, I don't know if you like big rocks in the desert and uh, dynamic weather and uh, right. great sunsets, sunrises. Uh, I think it's going to be beautiful because it is here, uh, and I really think it's going to be a good movie. The director, he's another one of the kind of directors I love. It's kind. Christian Carmaggio. He's great. <laughs> Boy, was he good with me. I got to tell you, I'm big. And everybody else. A really yeah. kind man. <clears throat> and yeah. a great director. Yeah, we'll definitely look out for that one because uh, um, I read a little bit about, about that one when I was doing some research. And I, interesting storyline, you know, him and uh, not to spoil the movie, but it's like a Romeo and Juliet. Well, it's kind history. Of... People know it. They can look it up. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Um, what were you saying? Go ahead. Well, it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing with a, you know, Native American and uh, yeah. Um, does is Jason Momoa play the the one that's being hunted? No, it's a guy named Martin Sinmeister. He's a Native American from Alaska. He's great. You'll love him. But his uh, Jason Momoa's niece, Lenai, plays Carlotta, uh, who is the his girlfriend. So uh, Martin plays Willie Boy and uh, Willie Bo, uh, who is the Paiute Indian, who is the Indian runner. And the Car Carlotta, his girlfriend, is played by Lenai, who's a beautiful actor. And uh, also, I think she's a world-class surfer as well from Hawaii. And is her is Momoa's niece? Who's she's like I don't know mid twenties. I think it's gonna be good. 
You know when oh. it's coming out? Hmm? Do you know when it's coming out? Well, you know, uh, we just found out that it was going to be, a, they have this new film festival out here in the desert in Pioneer Town. It's called the First Annual Pioneer Town Film Festival. And it's a film festival that kind of uh, is uh, themed around uh, Westerns because Pioneer Town is a studio set in the desert that was built by Gene Autry and Roy Rogers and all of those old Westerns that back at the, they were all shot in this little studio and they would all move out here for shooting season and they live in the desert and shoot all these TV shows. Yeah. So um, they're doing this film festival and it's going to be the premiere movie at oh, the nice. film festival. And that's supposed to be the end of this month, but they postponed it because of the Delta variant. Yeah. Yeah, I everybody please get vaccinated. George Jess Patton, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. If all you gotta do to prepare for the worst is put a mask on and vaccinated, that's pretty easy. You don't have to kind of keep the fucking fifth column of tanks rumbling a hundred <laughs> miles away, like right. George S. Patton did, do you? All you gotta do is get a shot and put a mask on, and yeah. it'll be over. Yeah, I and, got uh, I got vaccinated as soon as I could. Well, yeah, I know. Well, everybody who's listening to this, these politicians that are making this health issue political, they're yeah. going to kill their constituency. These uh, vaccine people that are denying it and saying Florida, you're everybody's going to get sick. Yeah. I know that's sad. Yeah. And I've had friends, Lawrence McNally, my, my friend died from the fucking COVID virus. My my brother's mother-in-law died of the COVID virus from Texas. You know, they're very, 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 very you know, yeah. uh, it's not worth dying for. No. Politician. No. And I had COVID. And a shot. Yeah. You don't have to keep the fucking fifth column rumbling in Belgium. <laughs> Definitely. I had, I had COVID last year and it's no joke. You know, it's, uh, dude, I had fun. to spend, I, I spent 28 days in quarantine in New Zealand. Uh, they know how to do it. We should listen. Yeah. They, 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 I was down there for, uh, and I, I I was just exposed. It was like a, a close contact. They put me back in quarantine. Yeah. They're serious. They, we should be here too. But they're walking around there with no masks. Yeah. They, they have been since the very beginning with all they, the businesses. Yeah. They got rid of it pretty quick compared to other countries. Well, they, it's not that they're getting rid of it, they're managing it. They, they have these little COVID outbreaks. They're called clusters. And because people have these little apps on their phone and they go and get, they can get tested. The, the health ministry knows where everybody was at the point when somebody tested positive and whoever was around them, they get interviewed. Yeah. And whoever they denied is uh, close contact. They have the quarantine. Yeah. And, uh, and it's done. And yeah. everybody can continue wearing their masks. Yeah. But here's everywhere and you, they can't do that because uh, everybody had it yeah but that was because of a political decision of a health crisis by uh, yeah. somebody who only wants to get reelected yeah it's a shame it is a political uh, move political war instead of a I know like, go back again to St. Anthony's Great <laughs> all men are capable of all things, the greatest good, the greatest people. 
Um, the last show that I want to mention, Elementary. Uh, what do you remember about that one? Who's the, the English guy? Who's the English guy? The, the lead I, in that? I don't remember his name. He was briefly married Today. to Angelina Jolie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bad guy. <laughs> I learned that he was going to be trouble with the very first phone call I got from the I think it was the yeah it was first from it was well you, you usually get I won't say which one you get three phone calls when you take the job the first one's usually from the costume department yeah. uh, gigs. they need to know your sizes and then if you're going to be in the stunts or something, you get a call from the stunt coordinator because uh, they want to know if you have a bad back or, if you're, you know, whatever you got, you got to do. Then you might get a call from the caterer saying, you know, uh, are you a vegetarian? Do you have anything like that? You know, the, you know when you want the set, that's all you got to do. Uh, anyway, along with one of those calls or two, maybe even three. That dude, whatever his name is. Yeah. Trouble capital T. Yeah. Bad news. And uh, he was bad news when I got there, just like they told me. One one person even came into my freaking uh room the first night I was the first day I was there into my uh, dressing room when I was getting trying my costumes on and said to me, I said, I want to tell you on the phone. I said, Don't worry, I figured it out. And they were all right. That was the. I, I feel sorry for anybody who has to work with that dude. Yeah, he's a toxic. Ah, he's a A and yeah. actor. Just an English dude with an accent. <laughs> I don't even know if he has a pretty face, but he's. I don't know. Yeah, I, I was get out of there, and I said that to them in the last take. I said, "I, I just want to get out of here, guys. I can't wait." Yeah, one take and I played the guitar with the freaking first AD for a few minutes before I left. And that was it. And I was mm-hmm. glad to get on the Los Angeles after that dude. He was toxic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like you had mostly good experiences with a lot of these, you know, actors in it, but I'm sure I, gotta you're... Tell you, I can I can name people that are like him on maybe three fingers in one hand over all the years when mm-hmm. I've worked in this business. Yeah. He's one of them. Yeah. Well, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm surprised he worked. But, you know, he must make him money. Like I said, yeah. he's making him money. Well, that show did finally go off, off there, but it was on for a few seasons. But, um, you know, you can't go wrong with Sherlock Holmes as a character. Remember, I told you I really like PI stuff. Um, so. well, that's great. Do you like the Cumberbatch version? Yes. Yeah, it was. Um, I've read all the Sherlock Holmes novels um, and they all do it different. You know, all, everybody's got their own take. And um, the Cumberbatch version he did it, he did it, um, he played it really kind of autistic, 
You know what I'm saying? And oh, I see kind of a mad genius kind of thing. Yeah. And really smart the way they did it because in the books, you know, Sherlock Holmes didn't get along with anybody, but not because he didn't. It's just that was his personality. And I think that's where that show did a really good job doing that because he's just so oblivious and unfriendly, but that's how the character's supposed to be, you know? So, yeah. And uh, that guy, the elementary, he played it like, uh, he played it a little different, um, but I did, I did like his version too. He didn't, the only thing I didn't like was. All I know, all I know is the guy, I don't know, the guy for me. I mean, right. we've all seen freaking Sherlock Holmes done a million freaking times. Yeah. The guy for me was so mean that when I had to hit a mark for the camera, uh, you know, when you, have, when you have like, I don't know, like to say we're doing a scene and you say, hey, how you doing? And you walk over and you hit the mark. Uh, when I say stop, right? So you're walking and you say, hey, how you doing? And you got to wait till I say stop for you to stop. Yeah. Right? I'm happy that says stop. I have to know where your mark is so that yeah. when I say stop, you're wrong, right? Get it? Yeah. You understand? Yeah. yeah. This guy, I did a scene and they had given me a specific camera mark for two cameras. And, uh, he wouldn't finish his line. He needed to stop. So I kept walking through. Because I, I would stop. I was supposed to stop at the end. He's, he's just fucking That guy's mean. Yeah. He's not. You don't do that. No. To another act. Uh, even if you're playing your character method. No. And that's, 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 the, that's the least of this kind of shit this dude did. Uh, uh, he's just on purpose man. And, did you uh, um, <laughs> did you uh, work with Lucy Liu in that? No, oh. I saw her. Yeah, but I wasn't. I don't think I was in a scene. But it was him and the other guy, Aiden Quinn. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I felt bad for him because he he couldn't say a word. Uh, I'm sure because this dude degraded him for having any opinion. The dude, the dude right. was like. And he can come over into Cod Joshua Tree if you like. I'll take him off. We can talk about it. With friends, if he gave me a chance. Right. That's a shame. The, I know. The only other show, and this is a deep cut. This show wasn't super big, but I actually really liked it. Uh, True Uh-oh. Calling. Oh, know? my. That, that's an interesting. That one I did. In Vancouver. And I remember that was just kind of an average TV show. I know that um, uh, producer Michael Cattleman did that. And I just did another show for him, which I can't tell you about. But it's going to be good. I think, Look for right. it. I think it's going to be on Netflix. Um, I just remember doing a scene with Eliza Douche. What was how do you say her last name? Douchku. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I had we were in like a kitchen, and I was trying to catch her, and I was throwing these kitchen like spoons and 
that's on a kitchen countertop. And um, I would be throwing them, trying not to hit her. But you know, there was like a, like a, I don't know, like a can with like all these forks and spoons. And, and so I'd throw it, but you know, it wouldn't just go there. It would spread <laughs> out. Right. Like, um, so I, I, that happened a few times. And finally she said, please don't hit me with this kitchen. <laughs> I was like, that's the only thing I remember. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine how scary that would be a big guy throwing, you know. <laughs> that, that's one of those shows. That's one of those like shows. Huh? Yeah. It, it only lasted like two seasons, but I felt like that had a good concept. But, you know, that's the the TV geek in me. That's one of those shows that I thought should have got more of a more of a chance. But You um, never know if one's going to get, you know, yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, and you also, don't know, you know, there's all these weird machinations, like your friend in the streaming does. You know, you never know. You know, one show, you know, they may have some kind of back back room deal with some producer or some other network that if their show doesn't get picked up, they roll it over onto my schedule, right? You know, they, you just never know. There's all the, it's worse than politics. Yeah, I believe it. Or religion. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's it on the shows because, like I said, if I if I brought up every show you were in, we'd be here. <laughs> um, uh, I, like I said, I'm surprised I remember it. I remember those snippets. Yeah, no, you, but it's like each one, so I think it's kind of like PTSD in a way. So, so to to end off. Um, Please plug anything that you got coming up that you want people to check out. Um, anything that you can that you can say, and um, I know you brought up the the last manhunt, which is coming yeah. out. You know that's the thing. Uh, I did that movie in September, October, November of 2019, right? And I was living in Tallahassee at the time. Because uh, my father had been sick and I was having like, uh, I don't know, just life turmoil. And I was there for like a year and a half and I came back to do that. And I went back to Tallahassee and uh, then I decided after that movie, I'd like to live in Joshua Tree. And uh, so I moved out on the 17th of February, 2020, two weeks later, lockdown. So the only show I've done between that and now is the one show I did in New Zealand, uh, which was the one where I had to go back into quarantine, even though nobody was in the mask. Uh, and there was, I had an interview on CNN International about what happened. I also have a, a YouTube uh, website, web YouTube channel that I do for my daughter, uh, Chakarutka. Uh, but a lot of people watch it. It's for her. Uh, but I kind of talk to them too sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and there's a there's a, a little video called the Kia Ora New Zealand about what happened to me. Uh, and I wish people would listen. Well, we're just, I mean, George is bad. How simple is it? Wear a mask, get a shot, prepare for the worst. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You don't have to five years and put it in your basement. What's you the, to, hmm? Sorry, I was going to say, what's the YouTube channel? Just Wade Williams. Just type in Wade Williams. Uh, the, the a, a song on there is the one that gets the most hits. 
It's called Walk with the Moon. And I wrote that for my daughter. Uh, oh, she was about two years. Actually, I started writing it in Vancouver when I was doing True Calling. Because yeah. the moon is so beautiful. Awesome. Anyway, she was about three years old. She came up to visit me with my, her mom uh, during that estate in a nice suite. They put us up in a great place. Um, in a, one of those kind of cool like residential hotels in downtown Vancouver. Nice. I'm glad I brought that show up. I That was a show I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't think a lot of people saw this show, but I really liked that show. But so <laughs> I'm glad I brought that one up. I um, enjoyed doing it. I really liked Eliza. I liked, I love Michael Countryman. I just did something with him. Nice. Look for that. All right. Wayne. Not, it's, uh, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can figure it out. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Uh, it was a blast talking to you. Um, I can't wait to see see you in the next thing. You know, and if, and if anybody's pissed off at me for anything I said that may be a little derogatory, it's just my feelings. Come on out to Joshua Tree, man. We'll go to Joshua Tree and we'll out here. Yeah, I don't think he said anything bad. I mean, the Sherlock Holmes guy probably not going to dig it, but everybody else, you know. <laughs> He would never join anybody for a beer that wouldn't yeah. make him money. Yeah, exactly. Or get, or get him on the front of him. Of a yeah. And he was, magazine. like I said, he was married to Angelina Jolie for like a couple months. So, you know, I don't know what that says, but. <laughs> but I like Angelina Jolie and I really like her dad, even though they have differences. Uh John Boyd is one of my heroes, and I think Angelina Jolie is a great actor. And, yeah. Uh, you know, including Mr. Sherlock Holmes. So yeah. I offer that uh, as a, and so do I. So. All right, Wade. Thank you very much.